Welcome everyone to The Floor is Rising. Uh, with me is Kizu and I'm Sabretooth. Today we're going to be talking about Southeast Asian art. Now, this is a subject close to both of our hearts since we, we live in Southeast Asia. And uh, it's an interesting discussion because I think from a, on a, from a global perspective, Southeast Asia is not often seen as, a, as an art powerhouse or an originator of, of a lot of art that has influenced globally. You know, we're going to talk about a few of them today that I have sort of personally collected. So the first artist that we're going to talk about is Dila Maharani um, from Indonesia. So Dila is a self-taught artist and she is absolutely prolific. The number of pieces that she puts out is one of the greatest numbers I've seen given the time frame that, she, that she's been active. And it's a very unique style, a very, I would say, casual, friendly style. Well, I'll have to agree. Her style is very um, pop. The colors really pop, these collages. But I think... For some reason, she's managed to arrive at a formula that's very cute. It reminds me a little bit of like some of the Japanese, early Japanese pop artists who really played with similar colors. And I think what's notable is like she's done this kind of art and craft hybrid practice where she makes she makes like kind of like carpets, like embroidered pieces, tapestries, and all, all of them are using a very similar aesthetic. If you buy her work and and not just NFTs, right? If you buy her objects, I think they really kind of like brighten up a room. She's also done murals and public art for Uniqlo. So I think there's an interesting thing going on there where, you know, she has a style that translates well into public space. I can totally see that she has a very uh, wide appeal and not just that, but across a number of formats that are both online and off. I think yeah, what I see is like, she has a very distinctive style that sort of carries across all the pieces. But what, what appeals is that, you know, within that particular style, she's able to sort of do things that are, you know, you can see, okay, this piece is pretty sort of casual friendly and you can see that it's all about sort of cuteness and all sorts of things. But then there's other pieces where, I would say it's more aimed at sort of more of a, a, a collector crowd, right? Where you, you can see that there's there's a lot of themes that are going into it that may not be as casual friendly. She seems to balance that quite quite well across her different audiences. She literally is a brand, right? <laughs> the amount of sort of things that she's doing, and it seems to be mostly local um, in Indonesia, but you know we're talking about putting out all sorts of objects branding herself in sort of the malls around her, the, doing campaigns with brands and all this sort of stuff. Like she, she literally is a brand. I think she's becoming more well-known. I think that is sort of like an aspiration for a lot of artists to basically be what dealer sort of has achieved. And I think that in a sense, especially now that she's sort of in the NFT space, will actually motivate a lot of artists. I, I can see a lot of artists looking to dealer and, and saying like, I want to I want to be like her. She was an illustrator that then kind of expanded the reach of her work and, and allowed it to decorate all sorts of objects. And now she's trying to make NFTs another you know format of the work. I think crucially, maybe I'm just kind of assuming some assumptions here, but Indonesia is obviously a huge market, a growing consumer market that, you know, has a lot of need for branding for all sorts of, you know, products and, and industries. And so her, her work lends itself to, you know, a number of contexts that can be used 
uh, to boost other brands, for example. So I can see that when she collaborates with other brands who need a strong visual identity, obviously that's that's something that really helps the, the reach of her work. I think the, the crucial thing here, though, when you mentioned brands, is that I think a lot of times more artists that have more critical or traditional art world validation, I think they tend to be a bit more careful about what projects they get into in terms of wanting to keep the image of their practice or their art consistent. Murakami, right? I think <laughs> obviously there's a very good example there, you know, because he, for example, historically he was one of the, he was the first artist to work with a top French fashion house in terms of their branding, Louis Vuitton, of course, at the time when, you know, these houses were also like trying to merge old couture and, and the world of high fashion with streetwear and street culture and, and hip hop and rap and things like that. So that was a, that was like late 2000s, like mid to late 2000s, right? So now, of course, that's something that's so uh, saturated. Every brand wants to collaborate with another brand and they want a rapper to endorse it and then BTS, blah, blah, blah. So we have this collision of like the worlds of music, art, fashion, and all of that. But that was not a given uh, 15 years ago, right? It was something that was very fresh. Some treated it with suspicion, you know, the, the gatekeepers of high fashion were shocked that this popish artist was basically slapping all his motifs onto leather goods. I think it was something unheard of. But here we are, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's a very different landscape. I think it's a landscape where artists like Dila can really get their imagery out there in this entire spectrum of formats, both physical and virtual. So I think she comes at a time, and I think the, the Indonesian context is quite significant. What do you think of the label self-taught? Because I think this this um, applies especially to a lot of artists that are coming out of sort of non-traditional art countries, right, where they don't have an opportunity to be trained in some of the more well-known slash prestigious institutions and whatever style they develop is, is developed by themselves, most likely through just looking at YouTube tutorials, right? Or, or just looking at using the internet as a, as a way to sort of learn. And can you see that out of dealers' work? And, and broadly, how do you see that delineation in, in today's world between artists that are sort of not sort of formally trained with that sort of lineage? It's not just a self-taught artist in terms of um, technique, I think, crucially. I think as we always, you know, kind of allude to, there's the fact that the artist is also responsible for marketing themselves, whether that's through Instagram or Twitter or any number of social, or just kind of getting the work out there without the help of uh, a gallery, for example. So there's many more options for self-taught artists and self-starter artists, I think is the, I mean, the teaching is one thing or the learning, their craft. And then there's the whole suite of skills that are required to function and work as a professional artist. And that includes marketing and branding and, and art school can only take you so far. And then you need the networks, you need the social skills to maneuver and, and negotiate and kind of navigate that that market. And as we've seen with the work of someone like Dila, that there's many, many avenues that one can take that aren't necessarily tied to the traditional gallery system at all. In fact, I don't know if she has a gallery. I wouldn't be surprised if she does not. 
because she seems to have been able to get her work out there through many, many other avenues, right? And so some would argue, like, well, is she really an artist? In fact, her profile says illustrator. And I think that has a very different connotation in the art world. When someone says that this person is an illustrator as opposed to an artist, I think there's an implication that they only do commercial work. And that somehow is, you know, separate from artists where, okay, artist means gallery and then eventually auction house and museum and things like that. So there's that. I think that division obviously has been collapsing. And thank you. That's the uh, end of this episode. And I look forward to hearing you again. Bye-bye.